Bibles this evening, and we'll jump right to Second Peter, okay? Let's go to Second Peter tonight, is where we'll be. It's all good, man, no worries. And Second uh, Peter is where we'll be tonight, okay? <clears throat> As uh, on Sunday evenings, what we're going to try to do is answer some questions you may have, all right? <clears throat> and uh, out in the lobby, you'll find, you'll find some of these papers just like this, okay? If you have a Bible question or a question about life that you want a Bible answer to, I encourage you to take this, put your question on it. If you want to remain anonymous, that's fine. And, but put it in an offering plate or get it to me, put it on my desk or something. Just get it to us so we can get that question and begin to do some study on it. And uh, we'll try to do that for uh, several Sunday evenings that we meet together like this. And uh, we'll try to do that, all right? And so we've done a couple already. We've looked at a question that someone uh, kind of turned in was this one. It was uh, a question on how can I discern or know the will of God? And that's a great question. And I love that question, by the way, as your pastor, because it lets me know that you have a desire to do what God wants you to do. And that is a good desire to have, all right? Well, we answered that question, uh, how we can discern the will of God for our life. And then the last one we looked at is this one. Uh, Pastor, how can we really know that we are truly born again? How can we really know we are saved? And we looked at some several passages that tell us that we can know. That's something you can know, by the way. Not something you have to hope for. Not something you have to wish for and hope it works out in the end. No, you can know it now. You can know now that you have eternal life. And we looked at passages from 1 John regarding that knowledge. Okay, So we looked at a few so far. And uh, again, keep turning your questions in. We'll keep looking at those. But another one that came in uh, across, uh, across my desk is this, is this question, okay? It is this one. In light of the coming of Christ, in light of living in the end times, how can the church prepare for those times, or rather in those times, in anticipation of Christ's return? Now, that's a good question, and uh, it, it's semi-specific yet broad at the same time. And as we look at this question over the next several Sunday evenings that we have, a meet like this, uh, of course, um, we're going to give several, try to give several answers to it, and uh, some of them be a little bit broad, some of them be more specific, meaning there be many answers to it at least, but the answers we're going to try to give, okay, when it, regarding to this question are more practical than they are prophetic, okay? I know some folks really want to know prophecy, and uh, that's good, and, and we should. We should study Revelation, those things of things uh, the, to come. We, we understand we can read Revelation and, and, and know some of those things, but not necessarily specifics of them. But how can we prepare in knowing that Jesus is going to return? And it, could, it is intimate, and it could be very soon. I mean, who here has seen recently what has happened in Israel? Yes, all right. Well, keep your eye on Israel. I've always heard that. After I surrendered to preach, older preachers say, keep your eye on Israel, son. That's God's chosen people. And just keep your eye on Israel. But with all this going on, it would seem that getting closer and closer to the return of Jesus Christ. And how are we to prepare in anticipation of that return? Well, again, we're going to be giving practical answers. 
And uh, what I like to try to do is be a little more informal on these questions, and even this one as well. And, uh, and so we'll, we'll do some dialogue back and forth, okay? It's hard to do that. And I'm going to even have Kenny uh, help me with some of these as well. We've been, been saying that. He was going to help me to, tonight, but, he, you know, he's got, he had to lay out of church and get sick and all that stuff, you know. But anyway, but we are praying for Kenny. He is, he is quite under the weather, praying for him. But he's going to help me with that. So we're going to try to do a little more informal on, on some of these um, questions and answers type of thing. And so as it comes to this one, we're going to be more practical in, in nature. All right? So keep that in mind. So how are we to prepare for the coming of the Lord or at least in the anticipation of the coming of Jesus Christ? Well, as we address this question this evening and other Sunday evenings, Lord willing, as we look at it, we're not going to be looking at it from the angle of preparation as in a doomsday prepper type of preparation. Uh, that's not the type of preparation we're necessarily going to be looking, looking at doing, okay? Uh, however, if you want to uh, get a little extra essentials stored up, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Uh, because even during the height of the pandemic in 2020, um, it seemed like no store had toilet paper. Okay. So if you have a little extra on hand, I think it's all right. I remember going to Ingalls, just going, I heard that they had no meat whatsoever at Ingalls. And I was like, really? And uh, so I went to check it out, and lo and behold, there was none. I think there was a pack of Italian sausages, all they had. And that was quite amazing to see, and actually a little bit uh, uh, eerie, to be honest as well. But, but we're not talking about that type of preparation. Not, that's not what we're talking about. But the preparation we're going to speak of is this, how the church as a whole should be preparing to meet the Lord. Because understand, Jesus is coming back one day. And I don't know when that day is. I even heard a preacher uh, just, other, just yesterday, I believe it was, he said, now I'm no date setter, but I ain't buying no green bananas. <laughs> so... He, what he means by that is Jesus can come back at any moment. But we know that Jesus is going to return. The Bible promises this in several passages, but one in particular when the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13-18, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with them. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain in the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord." Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So we know, listen, we know Jesus is going to return. We just don't know when, but we know that he is. But how should we prepare with that anticipation on our hearts and minds? Well, let's take note of a few elements of preparation. And we'll begin this evening with this, with this one. Again, several points to this uh, answer, or to this question rather, several, several points to this message, and we'll consider uh, this one this evening, all right? How should we prepare with anticipation of Jesus' return? We'll do this, number one. We must be growing. We must be growing. 
Now, growth is a natural process of life, is it not? Everybody agree to that? It's a natural process of life. You know, in life, you know, when cute infants grow into be terrible toddlers, uh, that happens. That's a natural process of life. And then some innocent kids begin to grow into sarcastic teenagers. I have one of those. Listen, it's just a natural process of life, growing. Then teenagers grow into young adults, and those young adults begin to have families, have children of their own, and those children become just like them, and they begin to reap what they sow. Amen. (laughs) It happens. It happens. It's just a natural process of life. Growth is. Growth is a natural process of physical life. Well, listen, the same is true and should be true in our spiritual life as well. In our life as believers, as Christians, we must, I'm telling you, we must grow. Now, just so you know, when I speak on growing as a church, I'm not necessarily emphasizing growth in number only. Now, do I desire to see the church grow in numbers? Sure, absolutely. Absolutely I do. Do I desire to see our church busting at the seams? Yes, surely. Absolutely. And it's okay to desire that, I believe, because people simply represent the privilege of influencing them with the gospel and of influencing them with the word of God. Besides, people are a great opportunity to minister to them. We should want to grow. In numbers, yes. But that's not necessarily the emphasis I would like to place when it comes to to growth. You see, when it comes to growing as a church, growing as a body of believers, growing should be emphasized this way, as individuals. Meaning we should see and seek people coming to know Jesus as Savior and then see them begin to take their next spiritual step in the Lord, to grow in the Lord. You see, when it comes to growth, our desire shouldn't just be some kind of mile wide and inch deep kind of thing. Listen, that's just a flash in, in the pan. That doesn't last. Just drawing a crowd, that don't, that don't just last. Uh, doesn't last. Listen, even the devil can draw a crowd. But rather what I would like to see is us to be a mile wide, sure, but listen, a mile deep first. And that is balance. But that takes growing people. Growing as individuals growing as people. But the question is this, how do we do that? How do we grow as believers? How can we grow in the Lord? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. There are several areas of growth as the Bible teaches us, but this evening, this evening's lesson, as we take note of this answer, or at least this point of the answer of growing, I'd like to look at what the Apostle Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 18, all right? Uh, so turn there with me. If you're there, say amen. All right, I think we, most of us are there. So let's look what it says, okay? Second Peter chapter 3 and verse number 18, the Bible says, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Now, this is the last thing that Peter wrote down that we know of. And uh, I don't think he wrote this last because it's least important. I think he wrote it last because, well, he doesn't want them to forget this. Anybody have uh, memory problems you tend to forget sometimes? Yeah, me too. I'm glad I'm not the only one. 
but if I want to emphasize something when I'm telling someone uh, to do something or whatever it may be or writing out something, I try to emphasize it at the end. And uh, so we try to do because it's emphasis. You're, you're, you're more apt to remember the ending of what you're saying or writing than you are at the beginning, right? And so I believe he's trying to let them know this at the end so they won't forget. It's not because it's least important. We know that growth in the Lord is of great importance. But he wants us to grow how? He says this, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now take quick note of that word grow. This word grow here simply means to increase, to become greater in. And the first area of growth that Peter wants us to grow in, to become greater in, is this word. Look at the next one. But grow in, what's it say? Grace. Grow in grace. Now what is grace? Grace is goodwill. It is loving kindness. It is unmerited favor. Grace is this. Grace is getting what we do not deserve. That is why salvation is by grace through faith. Ephesians 2 and verse number 8. It is by grace. Salvation is something we do not deserve, nor could we ever deserve it. No amount of good works or good deeds, no amount of money ever given would ever grant us salvation because salvation is totally, totally undeserved. And yet, because of the grace of God, <clears throat> it is freely given to whosoever believeth. And folks, there should not be a day go by that won't thank God for His grace. It's undeserved but freely given. Because without the grace of God, none of us would be here today. Let the grace of God change your life. Because as you ponder, just for a little bit, it will. I'm thankful for God's grace. But according to Peter here, we're to grow in that. We're to grow in the grace of God. But again, the question is, well, how? Well, again, I think it's important to keep the context of this verse in mind. Uh, and especially the historical context of why Peter is writing, all right? So no, Peter is the human author here. He's writing these epistles, but we know why he's doing so, as we've said it many times on Sunday morning now, writing to strengthen the brethren because of the persecution and trouble and fiery trials they are going through and facing. So Peter is writing to hurting, struggling, tortured, troubled believers. And if you're going through such treatment as, as that, guess what? You will need, yes, you'll need hope. We've talked about it on Sunday mornings, but you'll need this too. You will need grace. And Peter knows this. He knows it's through troubled times that these believers will experience that and grow in that. They may not grow financially with the world's wealth because most of that's been stripped from them as they're going through this terrible time, but they will grow in a greater economy. And that's a God's economy of of grace. And I want to tell you something. This is one of the main ways that we do grow in grace and God's grace is by facing uncomfortable times. By, by facing troubled times. By facing, as Peter said once again, the fiery trials of life. Why? Because through those times of life as believers, we, they should and we should seek the Lord. It should cause us to draw close to Jesus, to seek His help, to seek His comfort, just to seek 
Him. And when we do, you know what we will receive? Starts with a G, ends with a race. Grace, that's right. We will receive God's grace. Do you remember what Paul said as he came to the Lord three different times about his thorn in the flesh? Uh, Three different times he came and besought the Lord, asking him to remove this thorn, remove this pain, remove this, as he said, the messenger of Satan to buffet him. And which, by the way, as a side note, it would seem this messenger of Satan was some kind of demon because the messenger there is the, the Greek word angelos. It's where we get our word angel from. I don't think it was a good angel, but rather a bad one, a fallen one, all right? But somehow this demon was inflicting pain upon Paul, and we know that he was being inflicted. Uh, a pain upon because that word buffet, that word buffet means to strike with the fist or to treat with violence. So daily Paul was being treated that way from a messenger or by a messenger of Satan. That sounds pretty rough. <laughs> and I would, be, I would be begging the Lord to take that away too. But what did Paul testify about that? What testimony did he give about that pain, about that trouble, about that thorn? What did he testify after bringing all of that to the Lord and enduring his trial day after day? What did he say? It is. He said, my grace is sufficient for thee. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So understand God allows us to experience those times, those weaknesses, those difficulties, those troubles, those, as Paul would say, those thorns in life, so that in the midst of those days, in the midst of those weaknesses, we will see and seek the Lord, just as Paul did. He sought the Lord and then he saw God's grace in his life. Understand, God never intended us to live the Christian life outside of him. He never intended that for us to live outside his power, outside his strength, outside of his grace. We need grace for salvation, yes? Yes, okay, thank you, got one. But we also need grace for everyday living as well. We all need it. We all need the Lord. We need him every single day. I need a volunteer who has a Bible and wants to volunteer. Not everybody raise your hand at once. Okay, thank you, Marvin. All right, Marvin, will you turn to John 15? John 15, verses 4 and 5. All right, so you're going to read, if you will. John 15, verses 4 and 5. And uh, whenever you get there, sir, you can uh, read, it, read it loudly, all right? But John 15, verses 4 and 5. What did he say at the end? 
Without me, you can do what? Nothing. We need the Lord. And when we seek Him in the midst of our troubles, we will find this wonderful truth. We will find that His grace is sufficient. That it's plentiful. You see, this word sufficient here, it means enough. It means to be satisfied. And listen, because the grace of God is plentiful and because his strength is plentiful, understand we will never find ourselves in a situation that will exceed the amount of grace that we need to endure that situation, that weakness, that trial, that difficulty, that trouble, that thorn, or whatever else you want to fill in the blank. God's grace is sufficient. It will never run out And this, listen, listen, is something we need to learn and something we need to grow in. The grace of Jesus Christ. But how do we grow in it? Well, it's not my favorite activity either. But through the troubles of life is how we grow in the grace of God. And that is why that Paul could say something so crazy as this. We would, you know, maybe think it's crazy. Maybe it's probably not, but anyway. <laughs> say something so crazy as this. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, as he says this, after God told him his grace is sufficient, what did Paul say? Most gladly therefore will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. That word, or phrase rather, most gladly therefore, that word means there, phrase means this, it's with great pleasure. <laughs> he must have worked Chick-fil-A. But he says it's with great pleasure. Great pleasure. Our glory and my infirmities. Paul rejoiced in his infirmities. Why? Because he knew God's grace would be there. It's amazing. I'm telling you, it's amazing. He knew God's grace would be there, and he knew that God's grace would be, would be enough. I remember being with Pastor Cody on occasion, and as uh, he would counsel with, with folks, and I remember him saying this, uh, this statement many times, and I've used it over the years as well, but he, he said this one day, the first time I ever heard him say it, and it really stuck with me, but Pastor Cody said this. He said, you know, I never feel sorry for someone who has to trust the Lord. At first, I was taken back. I'm like, man, that's, that's a little harsh. <laughs> and then I got to thinking. I was like, no, he's absolutely right. There's nothing we can do. It's only the Lord. And when you're in that position where you have to trust the Lord, it's actually the best position you could ever be in. You know what? Because His grace, you'll find that His grace is sufficient. And you'll find that He's more than able. And it's something we need to grow in. We must be growing in what, Peter says, in grace. Growing in grace. And it's this grace that God gives us, understand, it is personal. Personal to us, meaning customized to meet each unique need and situation of life. Just as in 2 Corinthians there, when he says it's sufficient, Paul was saying his grace is sufficient. Just as that thorn was personalized for him, meaning that was his thorn to bear. It was customized to his weakness, meaning Paul knew he had the potential to be very prideful, just as we all do. 
but be very prideful because of all the revelations that was given to him. Remember, that's what he was testifying about in a context of that. So it was customized to him. But he found that that grace was customized to meet that unique need and situation as well. Of course, we know about Job and the unique situation that he went through and how what he endured. And it's just amazing that God would allow him to go through that. But listen, God knew that Job could. And that he could trust Job with that trial and with that weakness just as he could trust Paul with that thorn in his flesh. Look, though we all go through different weaknesses, we all have different uh, situations of life, and it may, may not be exactly the same, those situations that is, I don't want you to know something that is the same. We have the same Savior. We have the same God who will give us the right amount of grace at the right time to face those temptations of life. God's grace is sufficient and it will sustain us in our time of need. And as we see the grace of God was good enough, listen, to, to sustain in that present trial. And then when we come to a, another trial, which may be even bigger than the last one, you know what you'll have as you face that new one? You'll have a new assurance or even a greater confidence to face it, knowing that, listen, God's grace was sufficient then. I know God's grace will see me through this. You know what that's called? Uh, knowing that, that confidence, that assurance, you know what that's called? That's called growing in the grace of Jesus Christ. And this is something we all should be growing in. Think about it for a moment. How have you grown in the grace of Jesus? How have you grown in the grace of God in your life? How have you experienced the grace of God in your life? And because of that experience, it has propelled you to trust Him further. Think about it. Because listen, that's growing in the grace of Jesus Christ. And I'm sure we can, we can stand here today and talk more and more and give testimony after testimony of how God has seen you through different difficulties and, and through that you've seen God's grace is sufficient and, and knowing that God will propel you further even down the road and to face another one, God's grace is something that needs to be growing in our life. And I know you can give testimony to that fact. I'm thankful for the grace of God. This is something we should be growing in. So how should we prepare with the anticipation that Jesus is going to be returning? Well, we need to be growing. This is one way. In the grace of the Lord. Well, what else does Peter say? Go back with me to our text in 2 Peter 3.18. As Peter says this, but grow in the grace and in the, what's the next word? Knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter gives us another area in which we should be growing, and that is the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now, what is this knowledge? This knowledge is a general understanding of who God is. It's a general intelligence of who the Lord is. Now, the question is, how do we gain a general understanding 
about the, who the Lord is or about who God is. Uh, well, we could, we could take a look at creation and gain some knowledge uh, and some understanding about who God is. Because as you look at creation, you would have to say, well, God must be a God of life, yes? Because everywhere you see, all around us, especially in creation, is life. You take a hike, hike up to Mount Pisgah, you'll be sore, I promise you. But if you take a hike up to Mount Pisgah and take a look around, you'll see the beautiful creation of God, all the mountains, and how right now it's starting to turn, the, 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 tree, the, the leaves are starting to turn. But before they're all green, and green is just a picture of life. You can see the birds. You can see the, uh, uh, the red-tailed hawks and other, other, other birds of prey flying around and just see life. You may run across a bear or three and some deer. You just see life. Creation points to the knowledge that our God is a God of life. Also points, creation does, that our God is a God of order. Because everything in creation reproduces after its kind. Meaning this, you will not find during this time of the year with harvest season of the apple farmers around here, you will not find these apple trees producing oranges. If you do, that's weird, okay? Take a picture, take a video, let's make some money, all right? But anyway, you won't find that. If you do, it's out of order, but that's not how God created it. So when you see creation, you can see that our God is a God of ore. You can get a little bit of general knowledge of who God is by looking at our beautiful creation around us. But the main way that we grow in the knowledge of the Lord is this way. And you know it. But it's through the Word of God. The Bible says this in 1 Peter 2, 2. We read it this morning. But the Bible says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that they may grow thereby. If so be you've tasted that the Lord is gracious. Uh, listen, it's through the scriptures that the Lord has chosen to reveal who he really is. It's through the Word of God that we see His attributes, that we see His character, how we can know and see that our God is omniscient. What does that mean? That means all-knowing. He is the only wise God. How would you know that? Except the Bible tells us. We can see that He's omnipresent. What does that mean? That means He's everywhere present all at the same time. It's amazing to think about. He will never leave us nor forsake us. He is everywhere present. He is omnipresent. And then he's omnipotent. What does that mean? Meaning he is all-powerful. Again, Jesus said this in Revelation 1.8, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, which was, which is to come, the Almighty. He is the Almighty One. He is the Omnipotent One. How would you know that? Except for the Scripture. We know that God is infinite, meaning He is self-existing without origin. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 3, verse 13 through 14, as Moses was going to go and tell his people that he was sent by God, he, he wanted to, to know, who should I tell them has sent me? Here's what the Bible says. 
Exodus chapter 3, verse 13 and 14, Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said to Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. John 8, 58, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Understand, he is the self-existing one. How would you know that? Except for the scripture. We know that God is immutable, meaning he never changes. Malachi 3, 6, for I am the Lord, I change not. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. How would you know that? Except for the scriptures. We know that God is a God of love. 1 John 4, 16. We, we know and believe that, God, that love, I mean, <laughs> I got tongue tied. Sorry, okay. 1 John 4, 16. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. We know that God is holy, 1 Peter 1, 16. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. We know that God is gracious, Psalm 145, verse 8. The Lord is gracious, full of compassion, slow to anger, and of great mercy. We can go after list after list after list this evening showing who our God really is. But how do we know that? The Bible. The Word of God tells us who our God is. The Scriptures give us this knowledge and I like what one preacher said. He said, if we are not in the word of God, how can we know the God of the word? You see, we shouldn't just get in the, in the word of God just for knowledge's sake. But we should get in the word of God to know our God better. To grow in that knowledge of our God better. It should be growing. We must be growing in the knowledge of the Lord. And this takes place as we are in the Word of God. I cannot emphasize this enough of the great importance of being in the Bible. You know, if the Bible is not so important, then why would the devil go to great lengths to get us to doubt it and even deny it? Do you remember what his first attack was? As he attacked uh, Adam and Eve in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. Do you remember? What did he say to Eve? Yea, hath God said. <laughs> he is saying, did God really say that? Uh, yes, he actually did say that. Yes, absolutely. But his attack was on, first ever attack was on the Word of God. Did he attack the home? He attacked marriage? Yes, he did. But his way of doing so was by getting them to doubt God's Word. And then later on you can see even denying God's Word. That's what he wants us to do. If he can keep you from the Bible, he's doing, he's doing his job. But don't let him. Get in the Word of God. Let the Word of God get into you. That Jude reminds us in Jude 3, he reminds us to earnestly contend for the faith. We must be in the Bible. We must grow in the knowledge of God. And the best way to do so 
is by being in the Word. So let me ask you this evening. What are practical ways, practical ways that you and I can get in the Word and grow? Somebody just talk to me. Let's, let's dialogue a little bit, all right? What are some practical ways for us to grow in the Word of God? I'll state the obvious one, okay? I want, I want, I want the Sunday school answer, all right? Okay, practical way number one. Preacher, we got to read it. Yes, you're right. <laughs> what else? Someone tell me. Search it. Absolutely. I would say that would go along the lines of studying. Studying to show yourself approved unto God. How, how, now, how can we study it? What's a good way, a practical way of studying the scriptures? Yeah. So coming to church, Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, absolutely. Great, great practical ways of studying the scriptures. What's a practical way of doing it on your own? It shouldn't just be at church so we study the Word of God, but it must be practical personally for us. I'll tell you one way for me. I love doing word studies. It helps me. It helps me understand the passage. It helps me understand the context. I love doing word, word studies. You can do that on, listen, there's all kind of Bible apps out there. You can download. They help you with that. And the one that I like, that I, that I use often, I use every time as I sit down and study for Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, it's always on my computer, and it's this one. It's Blue Letter Bible. It's free. Every Baptist likes something free, don't you? Yeah, a few of you anyway. But you can get that on your phone. You can get that for your computer or whatever. And as you sit down to read, get that app out, and it'll help you with some of the word studies. You don't understand what a word means? You can click on a couple of buttons, and it'll define it for you. It'll give you other explanations of that word. It's a great, helpful tool. I'm talking about practicality of studying the Word of God to know our God better, to grow in that knowledge. It'll help you. Good commentaries. Another way to grow, to understand. Now, I will put a plug here real quick when it comes to commentaries. Um, I encourage you to eat the meat, spit out the bones, all right? Uh, the best of men are men at best, okay? And uh, we as men are very faulty, and, but, but still, there's some great minds, great wisdom that God has given individuals, and so it's okay to read after, after, after people. It's good commentaries. What else? What's another practical way? Maybe something, yes, sir? Absolutely. Praying the scripture. Open now mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. That should be a great prayer we all pray when we come to the Bible. I ask God to do that for us as we meet together. God open our hearts and minds to it. What's another practical way when it comes to studying the scriptures and knowing God better? Yes, sir. Yes, absolutely. Again, doing this right here, I want to do more of that. Like I said, more informal on Sunday evenings. Discussing back and forth with some of these questions and even... Uh, some of the answers, I think it'd be good. Talking to somebody about the Word of God. Anybody else? Memorization. Yes, memorizing the Word of God. The Bible says, Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. Uh, memorizing the Word so that when you find yourself in a situation, God can bring that, that verse, or that, that uh, passage back to your mind. Memorizing it. 
Meditating upon it. That, that goes along hand in hand with memorizing. Meditating upon the Word of God. And that word meditating would be like a cow uh, chewing a cud. I'm sure you've heard that illustration. As a cow would eat the, eat the cud and he would uh, swallow it down in one of his, I don't know how many stomachs they have, uh, four, okay. <laughs> yeah, he can eat a lot. Uh, but cows, cows are just proof that if all you eat is salad, you can still get fat. But anyway, so, <laughs> sorry. Sorry, my mind is like a squirrel sometimes on Red Bull. But like chewing the cud, it's like you're meditating, you're thinking upon it. And uh, as he chew the cud, he'll swallow it and then he regurgitates it. It's gross, I know, but that's what happens. And he begins to chew on it some more. That's the kind of same lines of meditating. You're thinking about what you've read, thinking about what God has taught you through the scripture, thinking about throughout the day, and you're, you're regurgitating it, not physically, but in your mind, thinking about it, meditating upon, upon the word of God. That comes through hand-in-hand hand with memorization. What else is the practical way? Desire it, yes. Jane? Absolutely. Audio book. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Who here listens to the Scriptures a lot? You, you listen to it down, going down the road, driving, whatever. It's a great way. Do it. It's a great way. And there's Bible apps for that. There's an app for that. All right? And uh, you can put it in, uh, plug it into your car or whatever and listen to the Scripture going down the road. It's a great way to help study the Word of God. All of this. There's so many more things I know. But all of this just helps aid in our knowledge of the Lord. Primarily through the Word of God. I can't emphasize it enough. I really can't. Of the importance of Scripture in someone's life. So, can I encourage you? If you want to grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, take time. We can't make time. We're not God. But we can purposely take time in our day. Every one of us has 24 hours every day. We can purposely take time to sit down, read the Word of God, to turn the Word of God as far as in an audio form, some on your radio phone, whatever, and listen to the Word of God. But take time to do just that. And then you can write in the margin of your Bible things that God is teaching you or write it in a journal things that God is teaching you and you will begin to grow in the knowledge of the Lord. Because I'm telling you, this is something we should be doing in preparation for the soon return of Jesus, knowing our God better. So our, my last question is this. Are you doing that? Are you growing in the grace of God and growing in the knowledge of God? Because every single one of us as believers should be doing 